All right, good. Zechariah chapter 4, <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 4, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Zechariah chapter 4, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Come on in, folks. I started a little early, and we're not having music tonight, so... Uh, All right, Zechariah chapter 4, look with me at verse 3. The Bible says, and two olive trees by it, of course, that's by the lamp, and one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. Look at verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof. And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? So I'm I'm trying not to laugh while I'm reading this because, you know, I said beside the bowl and I meant beside the candlestick. This morning I I was talking about the phylacteries on the priest's garments and I I said it was the border when I know it's the thing that the little box that they wore on their head. Last week I I knew when I wasn't saying Portman. (laughs) Have you ever been talking? You know that what you're saying isn't right and and that was one of those things. And I I get done with the service and Justin Yeo had texted me during the service, Portman, like I'm looking at my phone during the service. (laughs) Where is Justin? Somebody hit him. (laughs) <laughs> so, I think I'm losing my mind. That's, that's all that I can say. That's, that's why I was laughing while I was reading this about the, the candlestick. But anyway, let's go back to the text. Um, verse 13, And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So what we're going to do is we're going to take our method similar to what we had done this morning. And we want to look at the passage in the context of the hearers. And then we're going to look at the interpretation uh, of what it means for the future. And then what are we supposed to do with it? So the first thing that I want you to see is that these uh, two olive trees are the two anointed ones. Do you see that in verse 14? Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And we get the answer for us in verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. All right, so you have Zerubbabel. And then in the context, because of chapter 3, the other candlestick is Joshua. So Joshua and Zerubbabel. And what God said, now don't miss this. I think that verse 14 has one of the most amazing statements that I've seen in the Bible. It just really hit me when I was reading it this past week. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So I wonder, do you think that they had the power of God? That's how that temple was going to be completed. That's such an amazing statement. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Um, I'm going to try and remember to make some comments about that at the end for us. So they are the anointed ones. The anointing is with oil. Oil is the Holy Spirit. In the context, they're Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. 
All right? So God had anointed them for specific work for, first of all, rebuilding the temple. All right? That's the first part. But the second part is restoring the worship. Building the temple and restoring the worship. How many of you know that there are beautiful buildings that the worship is not right in? I was just talking with someone about, uh, I don't remember who it was. Yeah, it was the pastor in Oregon. He had grown up near the Crystal Cathedral. Remember Robert Schuler and the Crystal Cathedral? That building was unbelievable, right? But the, the worship in it was terrible because Robert Schuler was a heretic. And now, you know, that church is gone. Um, they, when he died, they couldn't decide whether his son or his daughter would be the pastor. And so the church, basically, that ministry, I guess they still have a television ministry, but they lost the building. Wouldn't you have thought with all the money coming into that place, the building would have been paid for? But it was foreclosed on, and now it's become a Roman Catholic church. And it's interesting. Here we are. We're building a building, all right? And one of the big things that we need to do is finish it, right? But then we need to make sure that the worship is right in it. And so what God had anointed Joshua and Zerubbabel to do, Zerubbabel is the political leader, and the structure of the society had to be right. And then God had ordained the high priest to make sure that the worship was right. That's what's going on in this text. And so in the immediate context, God is telling them, finish the temple and get the worship right. And then these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So they had the presence of God while they were doing it. But now, so that's the, that's the immediate uh, teaching of the text. And I think that we've been through this text enough for us to understand that that was their job. All right, restore the worship, finish the temple, restore the worship. Finish the temple, restore the worship. That's what they were supposed to do. But look at this connection that's so interesting. Go with me to, um, I said 2 Corinthians. We are going to go there, but look at uh, Revelation 11 first. <clears throat> Revelation 11. Look at verse 1. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. So this is John. And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Now, does that sound like anything that we were just talking about? This is, a, this is just such an amazing connection. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So there was an immediate fulfillment of that text. Joshua and Zerubbabel. But how many of you think that there might be a future context to the Zechariah chapter 4? There's no denying the connection between these two texts. I heard James Knox one time in a question and answer. I was watching it on YouTube or listening to it or something. And someone said, who are the two witnesses? And he said, I don't know. It might be Joshua and Zerubbabel. It's not. But it was a funny answer because the people didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Grace Baptist would know now, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> Amen? So now, 
Sometimes the, the question is, who are these two witnesses? Now, how many of you ever heard, how many of you have heard that it might be Enoch and Elijah? Have you ever heard that? So let's, let's look at why that is. So keep your place in Revelation 11. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Uh, look at verse 6. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, a couple of things about this passage. Um, Lydia is taking an apologetics course at school. And apologetics is it's your ability to defend the faith. And when you deal with um, evolutionists or naturalists, they don't see any distinction between consciousness and the body. They believe that our consciousness is simply the byproduct of biological uh, forces, that it's just an expression of biology. Well, the Bible makes it very clear that our consciousness, or we would call it our soul, right, that our soul is either at home in the body, or it's present with the Lord. That means our soul is separate from our body. You know, we live in a society that really worships the human body, right? And some of us have more to worship than others, right? But people really focus, and the Bible gives us a really good way to balance that. Bodily exercise profiteth little. It does have profit. But in comparison to what uh, godliness does, then it says, exercise thyself rather to godliness. Bodily exercise is good. Spiritual exercise is better. All right, now, we all need to exercise. We need to eat well and exercise because that's being a good steward of the body that God gave us. Amen? You know, there are a lot of people that aren't going to be able to serve God because they've not taken care of their bodies. I don't think that's good stewardship. It always gets real quiet when you talk about stuff like that, so I'll move on. But this verse where it says, Wherefore we labor, verse 9, that whether... I'm sorry, verse 8. Uh, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Um, there's another passage that says, I think it's in Hebrews 9.27. Let's, let's look at that. Yes. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So the Bible says that everyone is going to die. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So what people say is, absent from the body, present with the Lord, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment, that since Moses and Elijah didn't die, that they are the ones, I'm sorry, uh, Enoch and Elijah, since they didn't die, that they can be the, those two prophets. Look at uh, Genesis.
chapter 5. Look at verse 21. And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Um, my dad would always say it this way, that Enoch was walking with God one evening and said, it's time to, it's getting late, Lord, it's time to go home. And the Lord said, uh, my house is closer, let's go there. And he just went home with God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Now remember that Methuselah's name means his death shall bring. So when Methuselah died, right after Methuselah died is when the, the flood comes. And so Enoch is a picture of the church being rescued before the, the, the judgment of the earth and the tribulation. So one of the things to remember is that Enoch was a Gentile. So 1 Corinthians 10.32, Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Three people groups in the Bible, the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. From Adam through Abraham, everyone was a Gentile. Enoch lived well before Abraham, and so Enoch was a Gentile. All right? So God is very specific about his pictures in the Bible. Do you remember when God told Moses to strike the rock and the water came from it? Well, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us Jesus is that rock. So then later on, when God told Moses to speak to the rock and Moses struck the rock in anger, God punished Moses. Moses never got to go into the promised land. God, in his mercy, allowed him to go up on the mountain and see it. But he was not allowed to enter into the promised land because he smote the rock. Why is that so important? Jesus was only going to die once. Those pictures in the Bible are very important to God. Why? Because the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. For the Jew, prophecy is pattern. For the Greek, prophecy is prediction. So it's really important. God wanted the Jews to know that Enoch is a picture of a different group of people. That's you and me. So Enoch is a picture of that. Go to 2 Kings. Chapter 2. I'm doing this part from memory. 2 Kings chapter... Does somebody see where uh, he goes up in the cloud or in the uh, whirlwind? Is it chapter 2? I looked at it on my phone earlier today and I didn't look at the reference. Yes. So 2 Kings chapter 2, look at verse 11. And it came to pass as they still went on. So this is, this is uh, Elijah and Elisha. And talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. Why? Because he was freaked out. Wouldn't you be? All right, so Enoch was definitely a picture of, of the church being taken out before the tribulation. 
But Elijah is a Jewish prophet, a very specific Jewish prophet. Now go back to Revelation chapter 11. So we see that Enoch was a Gentile, and these two witnesses, they have to be Jewish because these olive trees are always pictures of Israel. Okay, so it's important that you see that these olive trees, they must be Jews. The olive tree is a consistent symbol of Israel and the Jews in the Bible. And then Enoch, of course, is a picture of the rapture. This this is an important thing. If Enoch dies. Then that that picture, that type is gone. It's, It's removed from us, because let me promise you this. When the church is raptured out, you're not going to die. You're rescued from death. Man, wouldn't it be cool if the Lord came back and we didn't have to die? You guys are lame tonight. Some of of you know I'd rather die. (laughs) Wouldn't it be awesome if we didn't have to die if Jesus Christ came back? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Amen. All right. So who are they? Who are these two witnesses? Let's see if we can find some identifiers. They stand before, in, so we understand from Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 14, that this, they stand before the God or by the God of the whole earth or the Lord of the whole earth. And that happens in Revelation as well. Look with me in verse, chapter 11 and verse 4, Revelation eleven four. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. The Bible never says that about Enoch doesn't ever give that identifier for Enoch. But look with me at uh, Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33. So we understand there are two different uh, prepositions that are used, and that's before and by. So look at... uh, Exodus thirty three twenty one, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. There's a place by me. So, God is, so Moses is standing by the Lord. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings 17 and look at verse one. And Elisha, I'm sorry, Elijah, the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, look at this, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my words. So we're identifying that both Moses and Elijah stood by or before the Lord. But another thing that's really interesting is let's look at who appears before the second coming of Christ. So go to Malachi chapter 4. And look at verse 4. That's the last book of the Old Testament. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, 
with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So what God says is he's going to send Elijah before him, but notice that it's also Moses in reference about the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, remember that great and terrible day of the Lord. That's not the rapture. That's a great day, but it's not terrible. The terrible day of the Lord is when the Lord returns and judges the earth. It's the Bible calls it the winepress of the wrath of God. All right. And God says that these two characters, Moses and Elijah, are both there. What's interesting about that is they both represent the Jews. This is a cool thing. Elijah, the Jews that are living. Why? Because he never died. And Moses, the dead. So what God is going to do is there are Jewish saints that will be raised and there are Jews that will come through the tribulation period and be saved there. So they represent both of those people. All right. Can we know them by what miracles they do? So go back to Revelation chapter 11. All right, so if you look at verse 5, what are the miracles that they can do? Well, it says in verse 5, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Can you imagine? Guys are coming after them and fire comes out of their mouth. How many of you say, man, I wish I could do that? That's why you can't do it. God knows that you would use it. Man, I know that I would use that. All right? Mostly when people ask me questions before I preach. That's when I would... Come on, that was funny. That was a little funny. Um, Listen to what the Bible says in number 16. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, Then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. So you remember that? Who's the one who called that out? Moses. Moses did that. Then what happened with Elijah on Mount Carmel? He called down that fire from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. So both Moses and Elijah had power to call down fire. All right? And that's what happens with these two prophets. They have another power in Revelation 11. Look at verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. So they have the ability, the power to stop the rain. And the Bible says, if you look at verse 3, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. So that's 1260 days. That's 42 months. That's three and a half years. All right. So what they were able to do, the, the days of their prophecy is three and a half years. They were able to stop the rain for three and a half years. Does that sound like anything that happened in the Old Testament? Yes. So they were both able to do that. 
Uh, the Bible says in James 5.17, speaking about Elijah, his Greek name, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. So that's a pretty good identifier, isn't it, of their capacity to do this. Then they both have power over the waters and the plagues. Look at what it says in verse 6. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Does that sound like anything Moses? God gave Moses the power to do in the book of Exodus. So they have power over waters and plagues. And then what do the witnesses do? It's interesting. Notice they are called the two witnesses. Is is that right? Verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. And then the Bible identifies them as the two candlesticks and the two olive trees. But they're called the two witnesses. According to Deuteronomy 19.15, the law required two witnesses to convict of a crime. And these are the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, against the crimes of the nation of Israel. And they prophesy against the nation of Israel. If you look at verse 3 again, it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy. They shall prophesy. There's no confusion about this. Go to, uh, keep Revelation, go to 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 3. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. You see that? See, one of the things, one of the mistakes we make is we think that prophecy is only telling the future. This is what I do every week. I prophesy. I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you the future. I don't have any supernatural capacity to tell you the future. If I did, I would have invested in Apple, you know, like 30 years ago. Right? I don't have that capacity. But like every preacher, I do have the capacity to warn and to comfort and all of these things. Uh, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Right? That's the kind of prophesying that these men do. He, they warn the people. They tell the people that it's time for them to repent, that the day of their judgment is here. And it's interesting, the response of the people they prophesy to. But before we look at that, look at 2 Peter 1.21. How do they prophesy? 2 Peter 1. Look at verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we know that these two prophets are filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us that. We get that information in Zechariah. But we know that when they, because they are prophets of God, because they are the witnesses of God, that they are prophesying the word of God to the nation of Israel during the time of the tribulation. That's what these, these two witnesses are doing. Now, when the Old Testament prophesied, the bulk of their prophecy was the, for the benefit of their immediate hearers, and it is immediately applicable to you and me. For example, as they're doing the work of God, they stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Is that what the Bible says about them? When we're fulfilling the Great Commission, do you know what we're doing? We're standing by the Lord of the whole earth. What did Jesus Christ say when he gave the Great Commission? 
Look at Matthew chapter 28. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Does that sound like the Lord of the whole earth? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. When he's with us, does that mean he's by us? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I'm with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. When we're doing the work of God, we are doing it with the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And so we're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, just the way that these two witnesses will. Now, let me, let me be very clear. They have abilities that we don't have. Make no mistake, but it's still through the power of the Holy Spirit that they're able to do those things. Okay? Um, all right. So not only do they do it the three and a half years, just as uh, Elijah did, they're closed in sackcloth. They've taken upon themselves the national sin. They're repentant and have humbled themselves before God. Because you know that sackcloth, that's a mourner's garment. And that's what they're preaching in. They're not happy that they're telling Israel this. They're sad because they know what's coming. They know that two-thirds of them are going to die. All right? Then, um, standing before the God of the earth, God does not, nor do they consider themselves to be standing before the Antichrist or the hosts of hell. See, it's interesting. If I were to... Well, we had a guy come in to do a debate at Oklahoma State when I was in ministry there. We ended up with about a 1,000 people in the ballroom for this debate between a geology professor and a, Christian, a creation scientist. And as we were getting ready for that, I would go to the different student organizations to promote it. And there was this place on campus at Oklahoma State where just about the whole student body crossed when there were certain, at certain times of the day. And so I had signs up and all of that kind of thing, creation versus evolution. And people started asking me questions. And I ended up debating hundreds of people at once. It was so much fun. I absolutely loved it. Now, how many of you would not like that? Would you raise your hands? I, I just absolutely love it. Uh, what is it? Uh, not always right, but never in doubt. You know, that, that, especially when I was young, that was me. And so if I was telling that story, here's the way I would have said it. I was standing up against the whole student body of Oklahoma State. In Bible language, I was standing before the students at Oklahoma State. That's not the way the text reads. Look at what, look at what it says. Revelation 11, verse 4. Revelation 11 and verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. See, the battle wasn't between the two witnesses and the enemies of God's work. The issue was doing it for the Lord. They were witnessing for the Lord to the people. It wasn't what the people did. It's what God was going to do. 
Do you know that in ministry we often get our eyes off of God and onto the people? We get our eyes off of the Lord and onto the work. We're supposed to be working for God. That's such an interesting thing that's going on. God does not, nor do they consider themselves to be standing before the Antichrist or the hosts of hell. They are standing before God. When I'm standing before a critic or one I'm trying to win, I must remember that our focus is not horizontal, it's vertical. My dealing is not with my opponent, it is with God. I am not responsible with how you respond. I am responsible for how I communicate. And if I remember I'm doing it for him, then your attitude doesn't affect my speech. Boy, that's something that I need to remember. I need to remember that verse from Jeremiah, be not dismayed by their faces. Because sometimes when you're speaking, you get this. Or this. <laughs> it's really important. The faces aren't the issue. God's the issue. Our job is to communicate. Now, it might not be your job to stand up in front of people like this. But it's certainly your job to stand before someone. Right? But even when you're standing before them, you're actually standing before the Lord. Because you are His representative in that situation. That affects the way I communicate. They're standing before the God of the earth. This is so interesting. The pagans worship the earth. We worship, we worship the God that made the earth. He made it, and he can do with it as he pleases, and that's what's going on here. And, of course, in verse 5, fire proceeds out of their mouth. Verse 6, they have the power. This is so interesting. I want you to notice verse 6. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they have finished their tormenting, what's it say? Does it say when they finish their plagues? No. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now, it's wonderful that the Lord raises them from the dead. But it's an interesting thing. The, the Bible says they have the power to do those things, but it never says they do them. All it says they do is testify. They testify. It's very interesting. They are empowered and can do these things if needed. And the world, look at what it says. Verse 8, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Wow. It's Jerusalem. God's not happy with Jerusalem. All right. Now look at this. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. When these guys die, it's Christmas. I'm not saying they die on Christmas Day. What I'm saying is these people are so happy that these guys are dead, 
that they start sending presents to each other. That's amazing, isn't it? And how did they torment the people? With their testimony. See, the preaching of the Word of God to people who hate God is hate speech and violence. I want you to think about something. I don't know if there's ever been a time when we can understand this passage more than today. You understand that when you speak the truth about homosexuality, that's considered violence. When you speak the truth about any social issue, that is considered verbal violence, and they are allowed to respond violently to your microaggressions. Remember what aggression is. You guys notice? Come on up here, Packer fan. So we're just talking, and I go, is that aggressive? Seriously. That, thank you. I've wanted to do that since the beginning of the service. We all know, and I'm just promising you, every guy, and I imagine a lot of the ladies, but every guy, you do that or you slap a guy, I'm just telling you, there's something coming up. Right? In our culture, words are violence. It's torment. If you don't believe me, watch MSNBC. Right? These people are melting down. They are... What's so interesting... I'm, I'm digressing just for a minute. The, when, the way that they talk about the president, they hate the president because he's uncivil in his speech... And they say the most outrageous things about him. Nazi and racist and all that because he says Pocahontas. It was so funny. I guess in one of his rallies just recently, he said, I can't call her Pocahontas anymore. I'm more Indian than she is. <laughs> just, that is awesome. So what they say is that's intemperate speech, and then they completely freak out and lose their minds, right? Is that what's going on? Now put that in the context of when these two witnesses come. Remember, the Holy Spirit's removed from the earth with the people, with the believers. And Satan has free reign on this earth, and God sends these men in the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, and these people hate it. They absolutely hate it. The Bible never says they burned anyone, put a plague on them, turned water to blood, or dried up crops. The Bible does say they preached the word of God to ungodly people who called them tormentors. Listen to what James Knox wrote. This is, this is great. He wrote, I want everyone in our town to be saved. I want everybody in our time to come to know Jesus. And if the majority of the people in our town refuse the gospel, I hope they are happy when I die and go to heaven. I would hate to live in a town where the majority didn't love Jesus Christ and I never caused them any bother. It's interesting. We have a time. We live in a time when we as Christians think we're supposed to be non-offensive. When our very presence is offensive, and we're commanded to speak the truth in love. Isn't that interesting? 
So we need to understand that if we are going to stand before the Lord as witnesses for God, that that is going to make some people uncomfortable. Now, how many of you are uncomfortable doing that? Be honest. You're uncomfortable doing that, right? Well, I'm sorry. It's our duty. It's our obligation. It's what we're supposed to do. These men were considered a torment to their fellow citizens. And for all we know, and all we know for certain, is that they preached unto them the word of God. This is interesting. We think if only God would send something bad into my family's life, maybe they would turn to Christ. Now, sometimes God does use trouble to wake us up. Amen? How many of you, that something in your life that you didn't want to happen happened, and that turned you back to Christ? Did that ever happen to any of you? Caused you to turn your eyes on Him and look to Him. Right? God will do that. But if somebody hates God and something bad happens, they'll just hate God more. Right? I remember the debate with Christopher Hitchens and Frank Turek. Frank Turek, the first debate he ever had was against Christopher Hitchens. That would be like the first time you play basketball is against Michael Jordan. And, but he was fantastic. He, and he was talking about, Christopher Hitchens wrote a book, um, God is Not Good. And, Hit, and, and so Turek described Hitchens' book. There is no God and I hate him. Isn't that great? There is no God and I hate him. Because everything about God was an affront to Christopher Hitchens. Because Christopher Hitchens wanted to live a profligate life. He didn't want any restraint on his life. And the very existence of God is an affront to the libertine. So if we're going to have an influence on the culture, we can't have an influence by being like them. Why? Because we stand before the Lord of the whole earth. Something that's interesting, if you look at Revelation 11, verse 11. And after three days, now, you need to mark three days. Anytime you see three days or the third day, there's always a reference to death and resurrection. Every time in your Bible, it's a, it's a cool thing. And after three days and a half, I wonder why there's a half. I don't know. But isn't that a good question? To identify with the three and a half years, I don't know. But it says, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake. Can you imagine what's going on in the world when this goes on? But notice again, this is such an interesting thing. So, do you see how this is a mini rapture that's taking place? Right before destruction. Enoch before the flood. Us before the tribulation period, these men before the earthquake. This is what God does. This is God. He has these patterns and these pictures. So now go back with me to Zechariah chapter 11 and let's finish this up. So we've looked at the immediate fulfillment, Joshua and Zerubbabel. 
We've looked at the prophetic fulfillment, and it's, it's Moses and Elijah, I believe. You know, I'm not going to separate with them over that, but I do believe that's who it is. But what about for us? What does this mean to me? Verse 14, <clears throat> Zechariah 4, 14. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. You know, the Bible says that we have an anointing from God. Anybody here that's saved? How many of you know that you're saved? We have an anointing, all right? This is not some Paula White charismatic thing where if you pray hard enough and long enough, you get the anointing. No, you get the anointing of the Holy Spirit when you get saved, okay? So if you're saved, the, the Bible makes it very clear. If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You're not saved if you don't have the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. We're sealed until the day of redemption, Ephesians chapter 1 says, by that Holy Spirit of promise. Okay? So we have the Holy Spirit of God. Any of us who are saved, we are anointed. And we are called to be witnesses. And ye shall be witnesses. Look at it. Look at Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Is that an anointing? And ye shall be, what's it say? Unto the world. How about that? Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It's so interesting. Joshua and Zerubbabel are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Moses and Elijah are the two witnesses that stand before the creator of the whole earth. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. See, we have a commission to go to the world, but we're not witnessing to them. We're witnesses unto the Lord giving them his message. When we go, it's for the Lord. We stand before God. We don't stand before the people. And the thing that's amazing about that is the power there is. The power that there is in that. You know, I've often thought, you know, sometimes somebody be doing some road rage around you when you're driving. I can't imagine why anyone would ever do that. I drive so peacefully and calmly. And I thought how cool it would be for that to happen. And you open the door of the car and you get out and you're Brent new. I wonder what that would feel like. That would be awesome. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, Tim Roth stands up. That would be awesome to have that effect on someone. You know, I get out 
And it's, yeah, big man in a little man's body. That's right. You know, and, and what it sounds like is, get away from my car. <laughs> but now imagine, you know, you open the door, you get out, and Shaquille O'Neal gets out next to you. You know, just that would be so awesome. When we minister for the Lord, we've got someone so much more powerful than that that's by us and that's with us. And honestly, we should have love for people. But how many of you would honestly say that, yeah, you just honestly don't love people that much? Would you be honest? How many of you would say that, right? If we love God, then we'll minister to those people. Why? Because He loves them. He loves them for us. Isn't that good? I don't have to have the love for them. I have to have love for Him. And I stand before Him, and we're witnesses unto Him. That's who we're supposed to be. Isn't it wild how all of that connects with these two olive trees in Zechariah chapter 4? We have an amazing Bible. Amen? And we have a great calling. We have a great commission. And I'm so thankful that you all, what a great crowd here tonight on a Sunday night, to open up the Bible and just verse by verse try to understand it. Well, we need to get that head knowledge of what God wanted to tell Israel. Now we know what that means for the future, but we also understand what it means for us, that we do this for God. We stand before Him. We don't stand before the people. What that does is then it doesn't matter what people think about us. It matters what He thinks about us. Amen? Let's make a change in our community by leading people to Christ, by us being that light that we talked about this morning. Let's all stand together. Thank you, Lord, for Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for these faithful workers.